0: Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello,
1: and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And my guest today really got me thinking about how sometimes we might ask somebody or be thinking even about ourselves, like, are you a good writer? Or thinking to myself, am I a good writer? And I think that there's something that's really interestingly problematic about asking that question is that there's so many genres and forms of writing. And we can be really good at one form and terrible at another, right? So maybe you're really great at writing essays and terrible at writing poetry, or you're really great at writing stories, but not so good with a nonfiction article. And one of the mysterious genres, I think, especially to a lot of authors is copywriting because copywriting, for example, sales copy on your web or copy on your website or a copy for a sales page on your website, or a copywriting for an email. All of these things are really their own art form. And they're different, a lot different than writing a book. All of these elements are different than book writing, but copywriting is such an essential piece of being a successful author. And it's for that reason that today I am Supremely happy to introduce to you Nikki Krofchik, who is a copywriter with more than 15 years of experience writing for multi billion dollar companies, as well as solopreneurs and every size business in between. She also coaches people to become professional copywriters and build thriving careers on their own via her website, filthyrichwriter.com, and her comprehensive copywriting academy. Now, for Nikki, the definition of being filthy rich means having a job you love, being good at what you do, and making great money doing it. And today, we unpack a lot of myths around copywriting, some of the copywriting pitfalls or difficulties that you might encounter as you're trying to get your messaging right, and even some pretty cool solutions so, I hope that you will find this interview as exciting and informative as I did. Enjoy. So, Nikki, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you so much
2: for having me, Robin.
1: Well, I'm so excited to have you here with us today and to hear some of your wisdom because I know that copywriting is an art form in itself, and it's something that can be so challenging. And even for authors, even for good writers, because it's its own thing. And it's something that every author or anyone with a brand really needs to have that skill. So before we get into what they should do, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and what led you to your, you know, becoming this copywriting expert.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, a million years ago when I was in high school, um, my dad was actually a marketing director at the time. He's retired now, but he would bring home extra work for me to do and would give me feedback and all that kind of thing. So I had an opportunity to do copywriting before I even realized that it was copywriting. Wow! And then, you know, went to college and majored in PR, quickly discovered I did not like PR. It's great for some people, not great for me. And then worked at a health club doing their events and all that kind of stuff. But the whole time thinking this isn't right for me, it's fun, but it's not the thing. It's not what I should be doing. So I quit working at the health club and was teaching like spinning and aqua aerobics to pay the bills, but not happy because it wasn't what I wanted to do. And my mom, the other half of the equation, sent me a book that was something called like The Six-Figure Writer or something like that. And really, I should say too, thank goodness for parents because this was like before Amazon was a real thing. So she went to the store, she picked it up. She put it in the mail. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: I have wonderful parents. And the book itself, it had some questionable advice. There were things like, well, you need a fax machine in your home office, you absolutely need a fax oh, yeah. machine. You, know, you need a dedicated line for business and you know, all the stuff that it's, now we can kind a long of laugh time at. Ago, right? It was <laughs> a long time ago, right? <laughs> like, Where would you even find a fax machine? I know, but what it did was remind me that copywriting was actually an option, and I thought, oh, I, I did like that, and I can do that. So, fifteen-ish, getting real close to twenty years ago, I jumped in and and started trying to land clients and all that sort of thing, and you know at the beginning of my career had some successes some I wouldn't call them failures but some missteps plenty of missteps but have built a really fantastic career and now I also teach people to build their own copywriting careers
1: yeah right so I'm kind of hearing maybe at least three stages here right <laughs> getting started. And then you've written copy for like billion dollar companies, as I understand it. So I'm curious, I guess when you started out, you probably wasn't billion dollar companies. Were you writing for solopreneurs or who were you writing for when you started out?
2: Well, the very first clients that I had, because I had just left the health club and I was thinking, who do I have special what kind of businesses do I have special insight to? Which is one of the things that we teach our students, a good place to start at least. And I thought, all right, I know how health clubs operate. I know what they have to do to make sales. I know how that process goes. And so the first people that I pitched and you know, now we teach our students to pitch via email. But back then I actually had postcards printed up and letters printed up. And I went to the library and like I got addresses. Well, I have to
1: stop and ask you like, what skincare you? use because you (laughs) look way too young to have had these issues.
2: (laughs) Well, Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast interview is going so well.
1: (laughs) It's not on YouTube watching this and just listening, go over to YouTube and you'll see what I mean.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it very much. (laughs)
1: anyway continue so you started out working for health clubs and mm-hmm.
2: yeah the first couple of clients I pitched were health clubs and got those clients and then got some pieces from my portfolio start branching out and yeah I've had the extreme pleasure to like you said write for multi-billion dollar companies you know lots of names you know also at the same time writing for solopreneurs and kind of every size business in between and so it's been a lot of fun
1: So I'm curious, do you notice any key differences between like writing for a solopreneur and writing for a billion dollar business?
2: You know, I think that solopreneurs tend to be more open to trying new tactics, the the bigger the company, the more set they are in the way things have always been done. Well, we put up this landing page and then we send out this email funnel and we do, you know, and whereas a, a solopreneur, you can sit down and go, okay, you know what? So I have another client that's doing this and yeah, they're in a different industry, but this could work really well for you in this way. And big companies too move so much slower because there's so many levels of approvals. And you have to send a fax to get yeah, that. to send a fax. And, you know, when I started my business, I had had the fax machine and now who knows where it is. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank God. Can you imagine how much was a fax machine 15 plus years ago? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean, but that is so interesting because, you know, I've actually helped another gentleman write a book called Go Tech or Go Extinct. And it was about how big business and like they have this sort of this is how we've always done it. And I'm wondering, like, I would imagine you've observed some some things around the outcomes of these companies that aren't willing to try something new. Can you say anything without revealing anyone specific? Yeah,
2: (laughs) X, Y, (laughs) Z company. Well, because they're so much slower to try new things, things that are working for solopreneurs now, bigger corporations will try Later, and they won't work because they're not fresh anymore. You no, know, I think they're so much more likely to go, Oh, I saw this technique. And then six months, a year, two yeah. years later, by the time it's finally gotten to the point where they can put it out, it's not fresh anymore. And nobody cares. And not only that, they might be sick of the
1: technique or everyone's clued into it and they know they're like, Oh, yeah, that's that hook
2: that everyone's been using for the last year and a half, and we're over it. Absolutely. Well, that's you can't do gimmicks. It's like, remember, oh, God, I was going to say five years ago, probably more like 10 years ago when someone first sent out the oops email right? The subject line is, oops, we made a mistake. And then people discovered like people open it up like crazy because they want to know what the mistake is. And then often too, there would be a discount code in there. Like, oops, we sent you the wrong email. Here's 10% off to make up for it. You know, probably the first one was a genuine mistake, but then companies started going, Ooh, that's a great idea. Ooh, that's a great idea. And then there was a a period of time where there were like, oops, emails like crazy. And none of them were actual mistakes. They were just trying to capitalize on this. What started out as something, Useful and fresh very quickly became a gimmick that annoyed everybody.
1: Yeah. And that's even worse because then they know you're lying. Yes. Which is really bad.
2: Yeah, exactly. If your target audience can't trust you, then you've lost a major piece of the game, I guess is a way to put it.
1: That's something. So I would gather that your advice to clients today, regardless of the size of the business, part of that advice might be don't use gimmicks.
2: Mm-mm, never. Yeah. yeah. It's not worth it or whatever. The gimmick is designed to get you to an end goal. So forget about the gimmick and what is this end goal we want to reach? What are we trying to do? And what is the most genuine way to do it? But also what's going to resonate with your target audience? It's what your target audience cares about most that matters most. Right.
1: right. Yeah.
2: And so like looking inside of your
1: honest, truthful,
2: authentic messaging. Yeah.
1: Find something that will connect with that target audience in an Mm -hmm. authentic way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love I
1: it. love it. Yeah. Cause I mean,
2: really it, it is so
1: damaging. You know, I just got an email the other day. I, I'd love your critique on this. I won't mention names, but they tend to target Forbes business council members. And it's the third person from the same company who's like, oh, we saw your articles on Forbes and we thought we could help you get more exposure by, you know, using us as your PR firm, which I looked at the first time I said, no. Mm-hmm. And I told them no, because Mm -hmm. I I saw what they were doing and I didn't find it that impressive. And then two different people from that same organization sent me the identical email. So, all right, copywriter lady, have fun. (sighs)
2: That's the first, oh, let me me get started, dig in. Um, But you know what, that's one of the biggest mistakes that you see copywriters or freelancers of any kind. And I should be clear, we teach our students to be copywriters if they want to be on staff, work for an in-house agency, or if they want to be freelance. But we also make sure everybody knows how to land freelance clients because- extra money is nice, but that's one of the biggest mistakes that anybody who's doing any kind of pitching makes is they make it, first of all, they get lazy with it, right? They have a template and they just send that same template out to everybody. And who wants to work with a service provider? That's lazy. Especially and- PR. Oh my God. <laughs> like you so want much- my business, but you're not going to take the time to actually research me. So that's big point is when we talk about pitching, you know, I think when people hear pitching, they go, Oh, thinking exactly like those mass pitches and go, Oh, those don't work. I hate it when I get them. But the way that we teach is: is, first of all, you do your research. If you really want to earn this client's business, you need to know about their company, do your research and find things that you genuinely like about this company, that you connect with this company. But part two, so many pitches are about the pitcher, not right. the pitch-e, <laughs> you know, the service provider right. who's saying, Oh, here's right. what we want. I'm sending, I'm intruding into your inbox and yeah. I'm telling you what I want from you. Nobody (laughs) wants that. Like, that's crazy. The funny thing is, this is what the vast majority of people do. So instead, the way we teach our students to do it is we make it all about value-based. So you come into their inbox, you've done your research and you know who the right person to reach out to is. You come in, you tell them, you know, a couple of things you like about the business and genuine, you're not blowing smoke or anything like this, but again, because you've done your research. And then you come in and you say, you know, Hey, I had this idea for XYZ. It could benefit your business in this way. I'd love to talk to you about it. Let me know if you have some time next week. So it's very low pressure. Peeling out any of the sales, and it's not about the person sending the email, it's about the person receiving the email.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I'll read those emails a lot more. I'm not going to say all day long. After I told a person no, then they sent me the email again. Now I'm in a now I'm angry, I'm not just Mm -hmm. like, no, thank you, you know, and so that was like, I couldn't believe. Well, And
2: further demonstration that this company does not have their act together. If they have three different people pitching the same person, I mean, that's crazy. The last thing anybody wants is their name associated
1: with a publicist who does that to a station manager, you know, who says, no, thank you. Not interested in this guest. And then like a month later, it's like, hey, we have this guest we think would be perfect for you.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the part of the thing about hiring service providers, whether it's an agency or whether it's a single person is you have to make sure you're getting someone who understands what you do and represents you well in whatever service they're providing. Absolutely. Fabulous.
1: All right. So let's talk about when did you make the decision to go from just offering copywriting services to teaching others to start their own
2: copywriting? Mm -hmm. It was about a decade ago. My team figured out that next year will be the 10-year anniversary. But thank you. I know, very exciting. (laughs) It's kind of funny how quickly 10 years came up. But the way it started was I was... At the time, I was on staff at a company and they had just started a new website. It became very clear very quickly that they were going to need a ton of copy and that one copywriter couldn't even begin to do it. It was like a three, four, five-person job just to generate enough copy for this website. And they said, okay, great. You need to create a copy team. And I said, super, I can do this. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, How much time do I have? So I poached a couple of writers from the editorial team and I hired a couple of junior copywriters, very green, but lots of talent. And essentially what I did was we would have kind of a learning session once Mm -hmm. a day. We'd sit down, we'd talk about the principles. I would have them bring in Examples, we discussed the examples, what made it effective, what didn't make it effective. So, over the course of several weeks, we kind of went through all the principles of copywriting and how they get fleshed out. And then, of course, because they had to write copy, they got the opportunity to practice it and then they would get feedback from me. And once I got them to the point that they were up and chugging along, I thought, you know, I feel like more people would benefit from this. Because right. um, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about copyrighting, the crazy thing is that you can't major in it in any college or university that I'm aware of, which is crazy mm-hmm. because it is a full career Yeah. and you can, you know, take a class in it, or maybe in All your right. advertising classes, there'll be a segment about it, but there's so much more to it than, you know, just a little bit. And so I basically put together what I would have wanted when I got started. So how, yes, the fundamentals of how to write copy and then the more advanced techniques and opportunities to practice it and how to build your portfolio site and how to build experience and how to land your first clients and how to parlay that into regular clients and all that kind of thing. So, so that's what I put together. Yeah.
1: Well, that's so awesome. And as you were saying that, of course, it had never occurred to me before that you could major in copywriting, but. It's so needed right now. I mean, one of my sayings that people hear me say, you know, especially people who are close to me, that I say fairly frequently is like, there's never been a better time to be a writer because everyone needs content. Even if you own a hardware
2: store, you need content online. Like you can't not be online mm-hmm. and you better be saying something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, you and I know as business owners that the messaging... <laughs> is the most important thing. You could have the most amazing product and super great pictures or service, but if you can't nail the messaging, nobody's going to buy it. But you could have a white page and just black text on that white page. And if the copy is good... People will buy it like crazy. And I love that you say that because that's the exact same thing I tell our students. There has never been a better time to be a copywriter. And quite frankly, it just continues being good because Mm -hmm. businesses are starting like up like crazy, but businesses are also educated now. You know, it used to be like if you started a business, you were kind of in your own little world. But now with the web, I mean, not the web is a new invention, but there's more and more education out there about marketing and about business tactics. And so more and more companies are understanding, oh, I need to focus on my messaging. Oh, I need a professional who is an expert in that messaging. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic.
1: And that's what I was just going to go to next is that, and I've found this in my own company. So our business is writing, for people, right, or helping people learn how to write, you know, coaching people to write. And so, but I know for a fact, I cannot describe my business as well as a good copywriter. So say a little bit about that, because I think this is a mistake that I made for many years thinking, well, nobody knows my business better than me. Yeah, that's the problem. Exactly.
2: (laughs) The the hardest person to write copy for is yourself. And that's true for any entrepreneur. And quite frankly, that's true for copywriters as well. When we're taking our students through and they're writing their portfolio sites, they're going, why is this so hard? I just (laughs) did this work for this client and they loved it. And I'm sitting down to write about myself and I can't do it. It is because you're so close to it. You're talking about it in your head all day long, especially when it's business or a major project or something like that. And you want it to be as good as possible. When you're that close to it, it's really hard to come up with something fresh or a message that really nails everything that you want to say. Can it be done? Absolutely. But it's definitely have to be able to give yourself some time away from it before you can come back. And and you know, the thing is too, is that there are so, like I was saying, it's copywriting is an entire career, which is another reason why it blows my mind. I mean, I'm grateful that you can't major in it. (laughs) It's wonderful for my business. (laughs) thank you. But there's a lot that goes into it. And I think sometimes too, especially people who are talented writers. So think, all right, well, I can just write copy, but with that element of training, heck yeah. But without it, you don't know how to go about doing it. Right. I'm going to push back even on
1: the training because something I notice consistently is that I would never say things about myself that are as nice as what a copywriter will say. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's interesting. And I feel like we I need to delve into this a little bit. I further. don't
1: brag <laughs> enough. Like I'm not, you know, I just, I mean, compared my mother is the most humble person I've ever met. Like she's accomplished unbelievable things and you would have to like interrogate her for hours to get her to tell you all the amazing things she's done. Cause mm-hmm. she'd never just come up with it on her own.
2: Yeah. I'm not
1: that bad, but even I, like when I read what a copywriter writes on my behalf, I'm like, well, that's, True, but
2: that person sounds great. I I never would have occurred to me to share that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You run into that
0: with your
2: owners, yeah. Absolutely, we tend to bury the lead. You know, we no one is no one is rewarded for quote unquote bragging about ourselves, right? If you started a conversation with, well, I'm so-and-so, I have a seven-figure business and I've done this and I've helped, you know, this many, nobody would do that. But when it comes to writing the copy for your website, say, or a LinkedIn bio or something like that, In a conversation, people will take the time to get to know you. They've got a couple of minutes, okay. And maybe it will somehow come out that you say, (laughs) (laughs) but but when people want to know who you are and what makes you credible and why they should listen to you or believe you or purchase from you versus anyone else, they need those key details. They need that expertise to be highlighted. And to your point, the copywriter has that objectivity to say, yes, you're a very nice person and I know that you're very helpful. And we're going to write it in a way that doesn't sound like bragging, but (laughs) we are going to highlight all of the amazing things that you have done and people will know about it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's kind of fun to read when you've allowed someone else to write on your behalf. I think it's kind of fun to read because the other thing I've noticed is that things that the copywriter can see that would stand out for the prospect I don't think the owner can always see that that's the thing that's going to get their attention. Have you run into
2: that as well? Mm-hmm, absolutely. You see this, especially when copywriters are working with solopreneurs or single individuals, there's often a lot in their backstory that informs what makes them so good at what they do or you know what makes them an expert and makes them qualified to write this book or what makes them qualified to create this course or that kind of thing. And uh, sometimes people are or gloss over their backstory. Well, this is the course I have mm-hmm. created. Now, okay, but how did you get here? Right. <laughs> Often those elements in the background. This, okay, what challenge did you? Over- well, yeah, actually, I-, I struggled with that, and then I realized this, and then I created a course, and that you know all that kind of thing. It's that struggle yeah. that makes people connect with you. Those elements of the story. I mean, talk about writing books. I mean, yeah. obviously, fiction a little bit different from nonfiction, but the hero's journey, having to deal with that conflict and overcoming it. First of all, everyone loves a story, oh, and if it's a story that they can relate to because they have that same issue or same challenge or something like that. It's going to make people trust you even more and want to know more about your solution. You know, I think a lot of us forget about that no, like, and trust factor. And a big part of that comes from sharing our stories. Now, not sharing every single element of our story. You want to keep that message <laughs> focused. You yes. know, I was born on a sunny Saturday.
1: I want to add to what you're saying there because. The other thing that I think it does, when especially when you're willing to share about some of the challenges you faced and how you overcame them, is it not only makes you relatable to the reader, but in a lot of cases, your reader might be having a similar struggle. And so I think what it does is it shows the reader, oh, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Power. And if you're really trying to enroll someone in a program that you're leading the, to help them solve that very problem, just the mm-hmm. fact that you actually have overcome that same problem mm-hmm. is incredibly enrolling, inspiring. Really. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, think about it this way. I spend a lot of time on Instagram, way more than I should. And I <laughs> definitely have been buying too many products on Instagram. But you know, when you <laughs> scroll through and you see this fabulous face cream, for speaking of face cream, you see fabulous face cream and you see it's on like a 25 year old girl who looks fantastic but she's 25. So how much work does she have to do? You know, it's like, oh, it works fantastic. for you. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you don't need anything. You could smear mayonnaise on your face and you'd look great. To um, note to self, look into that. But whereas when you see a before and after, that's actually like, oh, this person looked, I know this sounds very shallow, but really for illustrative purposes, this person looked this way before. And then after using it, they look this way. And it's that same yeah. thing when you're telling your story. This is the challenge I had before. Then I did this system or product or service or whatever that I'm telling you about. And this is my life. Now it gives people hope they connect with your before story and it gives them hope that you can do the same thing you can help them in the same way that you helped yourself. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So powerful. Mm -hmm. When you put someone through your copywriting training, do they then go on to start their own copywriting business or do you ever Grab a couple and throw them on your team, or what do you
2: do? <laughs> <laughs> steal them? Yeah. For the most part, most of our students go on and create either freelance businesses, and whether that's full time or part time, or they land on staff positions. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So we have farmed out work periodically to us, to some of our students, but for the most part, they certainly don't need us because there are so many. Potential clients out oh, okay. there, you know, when you really think about I think so many of us are used to looking at the world through a keyhole, you know, like well, oh, there are only this many companies on my block or there are only this many companies in my city when you start to think, all right, first of all, those are just the companies that you see and this companies you see in your city, but right. you could really write for anyone and they' also think of all the companies that are online that you're not seeing. One of the exercises we have a, a yearly event called Pitchapalooza, which is a silly oh, name, I admittedly, but I to, love get, Pitrapalooza. Pitrapalooza, to get it. Pitchapalooza Pitchapalooza just to get people host this event. Yeah, exactly. For our students. Free event for our students. And just really just that we do it at the beginning of the year, just to get people amped up and like excited and overcoming those, you know, the self-doubt that inevitably creeps up. And one of the things that we have them do is okay, make a list of 50 potential clients. And they all go, 50. Oh my God. And we go through, all right, here's where you're gonna start, and then you're gonna go down these and always every single time, you know, there's the shock of 50. And then I say, it's going to happen faster than you think it will. It's you were finished that list. And within an hour, we have people posting in our student-only Facebook group growing. I hit 50 and then I couldn't stop going. So look, this is 150. It's there's wow. so much opportunity out there.
1: Yeah. And so then once they make the list, do you have them actually pitch during the pitch of Palooza?
2: We do. That's part of the challenge. Yes. Yes, to send out their first couple of pitches. And you know, I will say I'm very fortunate because our student only Facebook group is an amazing, like an amazing group of people. And we have, you know, student coaches in there and I'm in there, and but really fantastic and supportive people and cheering each other on, but it can always help to like, all right, we're all gonna do this together. So that little excitement at the beginning of the year is a great way to start. I think it's
1: fantastic because I happen to know the number one reason when somebody comes to me and I send them away, or I used to send them away. Now I put them in a a lower budget booklet writing masterclass, right? So Mm -hmm. that they can get an authority piece without committing $40,000 or more to getting a full-length book. So the point of this is the reason I would send people away (laughs) is because they would be fairly new at what they were doing and they weren't really pitching clients. They weren't really getting clients. And I'd say, look, writing a book is not magically going to put prospects in your inbox and clients Mm -hmm. in your coffers or whatever. It doesn't do that. So I love this because I've always felt that when those people reach out, what's really happening is they're trying to avoid exactly what you're scary stuff. Yeah, exactly. threatening to
2: the ego and scary and stuff like that. So, and I mean, it, it turns out that it's not that you're sending an email but we build stuff up it's just like it's just an email and if you write it right it's a very nice email you're essentially showing up at somebody's door with a gift and being like hey that's for you if you can chat you can if not no big deal but it's just an email it's not a big deal but people build it up before they actually it's oh and it's getting out of our comfort zones right like all of the best things in life are outside of our comfort zones oh, but you actually have to get outside of your comfort zone to get all those best things in life yeah I love that. All
1: the best things in life are just outside our comfort zone. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's a notable quote. I love that. So when they're in this pitch-a-palooza, you have them make the list mm-hmm. and then they start sending emails. Do they ever close while you're at the yeah. event?
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a couple of weeks, like I said, it's all free for our students. But you know, we start out by going through the we have them come up with their USP, their unique selling point. You know, there are other copywriters out there in the world, and you yeah. need to be able to tell people why they should hire you and what mm-hmm. elements of your background. We most of our students don't have any kind of marketing background or certainly not copywriting background, but elements of your background make you who you are and make you a distinctive copywriter. So that's one of the things that we talk about. And yes, then they go through and they come up with their list and they pitch. And yeah, we absolutely do have students that land their first clients in the Pitchapalooza timeframe. It's really cool.
1: That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Because I really think like once you get a few of those under your belt, sales goes from being scary to almost addictive. I think like Mm -hmm. it's fun it's Mm -hmm. fun to have a conversation with someone and discover that there's a a fit and, you know, be so clear that you can help them. And they're so clear that you can help them. And, you know, it feels really good and it's really fun.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and then too, when you start to train your brain to, you know, back to scrolling through Instagram, when you go from what a weird ad to, oh, this is an opportunity. That is a super weird ad. I'm going to reach out to people because... (laughs) I know that they have the budget to be running ads on Instagram. So likely they also have a budget to hire someone to fix (laughs) those ads for them. Just the writing of the ads. But
1: yeah, there's so many opportunities out there. Interesting. So you said it's not just the writing of the ads. Do you also train people on that other aspect of like how to construct a copyright, like a really good Facebook ad or like curious about that triggered
2: me to wonder... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We teach them the foundations and then you know advanced techniques, but we do have additional courses. We have our foundations and then had this for nice. building us for 10, 10 years. years. So every time yeah. I find something I'm like, oh, we should have a course on that. So we have 15 plus additional courses. And yeah, wow. one of them is Facebook ads and, and the principles are kind of the... Fundamental principles are the same, but how you execute in different mediums is, is, yeah, Facebook ad is going to be different from a landing page is going to be different from a brochure or something like that. But yeah, there's so many. I say to people, you know, probably have copy within a three feet radius of you, you know, it's packaging (laughs) on something or it's the back cover copy of a book or or something like that. You guarantee you have copy within a three foot radius. There's so much out there.
1: By the way, back cover book copy is a specific skill set, just in case you ever want to do a course on that.
2: (laughs) It, It really is. And actually... If, I don't want to brag here, but I have done some back cover copy myself for Harlequin. So oh. if you happen to have read a couple of books by the name of The Firefighter's Secret Baby. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Quarterback Daddy, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? That was one of my most fun projects. I kept doing it for way longer than I should have because it wasn't an especially lucrative project, but it was just so much fun.
1: I mean, it's so funny. Like if you really look at it and you really break it down, it's like a lot of these things are really template based, you know, but they're just, the content is so unique that unless you know what you're looking for, you'd never know.
2: Yep. Exactly. And getting into that voice and getting into that. Yeah. it was So much yeah. fun. Putting them in with a
1: really intriguing image that makes them want more. You know, that's got to mm-hmm. be your first line. It's interesting. God, I, I kind of just got excited there and lost my train of thought. I, I you were
2: distracted by the firefighters and the baby. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> and who wouldn't hey, be? Frankly, I'm a human female. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Okay. <laughs>
1: Um, You know, one of the things I've noticed, especially if you like look at old magazines or, I mean, it can be so interesting to see how the language of copywriting changes over time, right? Like some of the language, if you go back and read even like an ad from the 1950s or 1940s and just how antiquated the content is and how it's about context changing. It's about language changing. I don't know. I just would be curious to hear your take on that evolutionary line that just never really ends.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because yeah, you go back and you look at some of these ads and they're like full pages of copy. They're just full pages. But a lot of the techniques, once you learn them, you see them, in there, you know, the drawing people in and then changing their minds kind of thing. One of the, a famous one in terms of like big, long page full of copy, and I really should memorize the exact headline, but it's something like they laughed when I said I would play the piano, but then I sat down to play dot, dot, dot. That's not quite it, but it's something very similar to that, but it's that it's making it aspirational, making it relatable. It's also hooking them in and and it's also beginning a story. And the elements of, I really hate using the word persuasion because I think people go screech. Oh no, salesy and pushy. And persuasion is not a bad thing. Copy is about connecting a target audience who has a want or a need with the company or the organization that has the solution to that want or that need. And we make that connection by writing copy that the target audience relates to that they read and go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the solution. That's what I need. They get me. And th- that's really what persuasion comes down to is explaining to someone what they're going to get out of something. But yeah. So these longer ads, I mean, first of all, people were just, they read more. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, they were reading cool. newspapers and books and novels and yeah, the there attention span. smartphones and laptops and all the other things that make us do other things besides read. Mm -hmm, Yeah, exactly. The attention spans were different, which is not to say now that you can't write longer copy because you absolutely can. Some of the emails that I will write for clients or that will write frankly for our business, but the messaging, you can't veer off and you can't have fluff in there and you can't have messaging that doesn't belong there. You know, we say our students, we talk about the fact that every word has to have a purpose. I should be able to point to a word and say, okay, why did you choose that word? And does it need to be there? And the answer needs to be yes. Everything has to be there. It has to be essential to the message. So you can still write longer copy, but you're absolutely right. In the thirties, forties, fifties, and even into the sixties, it was longer. You know, you would see the Volkswagen Beetle, the would be a headline and there'd be a good couple of paragraphs yeah. of copy, yeah. which actually, if anybody's interested, they should look those up. The techniques were very turning advertising on its head a little yeah. bit to be a I little. Say that's a legendary ad. As mm-hmm. I recall. That was a mm-hmm. real changer. Absolutely. There's a full campaign of being hyper honest in a lot of ways because it broke through a mold. It caught people's attention and it inspired them to purchase. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And that is something too, because like you said earlier, you know, if it's just what they expect and that they've seen a thousand times or a million times, you know, it's not going to get their attention so much as ad copy that really breaks the mold. And you know mm-hmm. this is a ritual that we have in this country every year, where the top, you know, some of the biggest corporations in the world try to come up with the thirty-second ad that's going to get everyone's attention at the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> yes,
2: yes, which is a whole other because there's so many ads that you go, oh yeah, I saw that ad, oh that was so funny, yeah, who was that ad for? Right? I don't know. Look. So you spent millions and nobody has any idea that it was your ad. Right? Yeah. Yeah, It's fascinating.
1: It doesn't sound like that's a strategy that you would teach.
2: No, no. Nobody remembers who the client is. Why on earth should the client pay you? That it's a brand play that. that doesn't even work. But, you know, there's a lot of cachet and having a Super Bowl ad and a lot of like, all right, be as weird, be as funny, be as crazy as possible. And there's certainly some great ones where you do remember who the advertiser is, but there are plenty where you have no idea, no idea. idea. And I think more and more where you have no idea. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah, exactly. I know it's very
1: strange. Yeah, it is very strange. It really is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there's something to be said too for like, it can seem like, oh, you know, wouldn't everybody wish they could afford a $30 million Super Bowl ad. But I think that for most businesses, it's more about that intimate communication where you really have the attention of the reader.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. And they're not just waiting for it to be over. So the game will start again.
2: Yeah. Don't get me wrong. TV advertising is great, but when you're looking at something, when you're advertising to the super Bowl, you are advertising to a huge diverse group of people. And so few of them are actually in your target audience now. Okay. Beer commercials, maybe there's more and Mm -hmm. you know, you do advertise to people of all ages over the age of 21. Although probably not how many 86 year olds drink coors you know or whatever or drink it regularly so you're missing that element of of being able to target who's actually in your target audience who actually cares about what you have to offer and yes there's that element of not being able to cater a message 30 seconds is also very very short and if you're going to catch their attention and it's a fantastic challenge. It's in the same way that a banner ad is a fantastic challenge. But when you're interacting with people in digitally, And say, for example, they see a banner and it does catch their attention. They click through and then you have an opportunity to engage with them more. And same thing, you know, and with a landing page or with an email or something like that. And even, you know, with a brochure in a store, if you're picking up a brochure, probably in that store and you can talk to them and there are different conversational and communicational opportunities that, yeah, you really miss out on when you do that kind of mass advertising.
1: So what I'm hearing is sounds like, and this is probably why you have so many courses, because it sounds like there's a little bit different approach depending on the medium
2: mm-hmm. that
1: you're writing for. So if you're writing for a banner ad versus an email mm-hmm. versus a banner ad that's targeted towards executives versus a banner ad that's targeted towards students versus a banner ad, you know, and same for the email, right? So you're going to be writing things depending on the medium and the audience is what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes. In the foundations course, we have a couple of separate courses that are how the medium affects the message and how the audience affects the message. So yes, A plus. Good job. Thank you. Sensational. There's so many considerations that go into, you know, I think people think, oh, well, copywriting, well, I just have to come up with a a clever line or a funny line and that will do it. And you know, it's funny because there's so few clients that are looking for. A clever line right. or a fun line. <laughs> it's, it's such a small subset of the work you will actually do. Yes, absolutely. And there are some lines in my portfolio that I look at and I'm like, <laughs> I still find that <laughs> funny all these years later. But it's not that many that need to be funny or clever or that kind of thing. It's really focusing on all of the elements that come together. You know, we talk about. I liken it to a word puzzle because you have an objective you're trying to meet, a puzzle you're trying to solve. And you have these different elements that you have to somehow get to work together. And then at the end, boom, it works and it's fantastic. And there is an element of play to it. You know, it's both strategy and creativity, which I think is part of what makes it so such a fun thing to do for a living. Yeah, I love that.
1: Yes, it is. It really is. Same with book writing, by the way, strategy, creativity, and execution Mm -hmm. is definitely... Yeah. I love that. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, we are very close to the end of our conversation today. We've covered so much too. Oh my gosh. This is going to be like, probably a lot of people are going to have to listen to this a couple of times to get all the nuggets that you have so graciously laid before Mm -hmm. us. Thank you so much. I'm going to finish with my favorite last question, which is, what should I have asked you or would you have wished I
2: asked you that I did not? Oh, well, I don't know if there's a wish, but I think because you and I both talk to people who are writing books or are dreaming of writing books. and And I think a lot of people who have always had that dream, whether that's a career they went into or not, I think a lot of us, if not all of us grew up thinking that writers can't make any money. And it's pervasive. And also there's an idea that if writers do make money, there's something wrong. No, (laughs) we should all be making, all of the writers should be making money. Unfortunately, not all of them are. But it's not true. You know, yes, unfortunately, journalists certainly don't make as much as they should. Your average novelist is not, unless they're J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, you know, and fantastic spread that around. But your average blog writer, if they're not selling courses and that kind of thing, they're not making much money. But copywriters can, and you still get that wonderful, fulfilling element of, of using your talent and building skills and making a, and quite frankly, too, getting your words out there in the world. It's, you know, what a kick it is oh, yeah. to of see course. your act, your words, something that you wrote published
1: or that I coach someone to write. Yes, you want exactly. to hear something funny going back to my mom. So God bless her. I was always a writer. I was always prone towards writing. And when I was thinking about what I was going to major in college, my mother said, well, maybe you should major in journalism. That way you could get paid to write.
2: Because otherwise you do it for free. Yes. And this is like
1: mid 80s, you know, but really there is this perception that you can't earn a great living as a writer, but it absolutely isn't true. And like we were saying before, it's never been a better time. There's never been more need and fewer people who actually have this skill. Yeah. Because it's not really showing up in most education, you know. Exactly
2: there's so much massively more need than there are people to fill it. You know, every once in a while on one of our Facebook or Instagram ads, people are going, well, if people are taking your course, aren't we going to flood the market? That is so adorable that you think (laughs) our course is going to flood the market. You know, we could be a hundred times as big as we are working with a hundred times as many students every day. And we wouldn't even come close to flooding the market. And that's not because we don't work with a lot of students. We do, but there's so, much more need out there than mm-hmm. there are skilled copywriters to fill in. Not people who one day decide they're going to be a copywriter and then just put up a website. But because yeah. uh, there are unfortunately some people who do try that and it does not end well. But same book coaches. copywriters will do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'll publish
1: but, yeah. one book and
2: now they're a book coach. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, best of luck to you. Yeah, well, it's those same kind of people who say, I don't mean say kind of people, I'm not, but often when people say, Oh, copywriting is hard to get into, I tried it and da. Oh, da, da. right, you know, how did you, how did you learn copy? Well, you know, I was just always a really good writer. So I just, you know, I started. Oh, okay, Well, so how did you get clients? Well, you know, I just kind of started telling people about like, okay, if you don't know how to write copy and you don't have a system for finding clients, then yeah, yeah. It's going to be really hard to get into.
1: Yeah. 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 And if only your friends know you're a copywriter.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Unless they have a whole lot of need for copyright. (laughs) Going to be an issue. Yeah. Well, wow. What a great
1: question to wrap up with, because it really is, you know, I hope that for any aspiring writers who are listening you know, you're getting at least some ideas of how you can not only earn a living as a writer, but earn a really great living as a writer. Mm -hmm. And like you said, get to share your gifts. You know, one of the things I love about my work is a lot of people would not know, there's a lot of books in the world that I've helped create, but you would only know that if you read the acknowledgements page. And I kind of get a secret little thrill about that you know? (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Like
1: if you only knew. I kind of feel like the world's secret Santa.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Because, because, you know, we help people write world-changing books that make the world better for everyone. And I would imagine you might feel the same way of writing copy for people who are out there trying to improve the lives of others.
2: Absolutely. You know, and that's the thing is when people, sometimes the want or the need is, they need a new minivan and they need a minivan with a keyless entry or whatever. And, but that's what they need. That's what they need. And then sometimes it's for a couple that's dealing with fertility issues and you write a website for them that, that makes them feel heard and seen and supported. And yeah, it's, making that connection is a very gratifying thing and really helping a target audience get to what they want. And it's sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's a little transformation. Sometimes it's a big transformation. Sometimes you change somebody's life and you get to be a part of that. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Well, that is a great note to end on. So Nikki, thank you so much once again, for being with us today.
2: Thank you so much. This is a genuine pleasure.